afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We continue to hear the confession of the Church, all ages and all places, different articles of what we believe the Bible teaches. Today the you see that Lord's Day 21, that's page 535 in the book of praise, if you'd like to read along. What do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? I believe that the Son of God out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we look to our confession in Lord's Day 21, also with our eyes on Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is a royal psalm, the theme at the beginning and the end, and then it goes back and forth between the, the nature of the king and those who find a refuge in this king. And as we were singing it, you noticed we said the word may a lot of times, and it was a, an expression, it was a prayer. It's a, it's a royal psalm in which the church prays that the dominion and the kingship of God's anointed king might shine through the church to all the world. It's like we saw when we walked in on Isaiah 49, verse 6, the display text that reveals to us that the Lord uh, answered the prayer through his suffering servant, who we learn in the Gospels, is Jesus Christ. So the connection to our confession is that Psalm 72 is speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ, about his kingship, and what a wonderful king he is. When we go back and we know that and we look at Psalm 72, we see that it is emphasizing the righteousness and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and how he brings God's abundant blessing to all his subjects. Psalm 72 puts it in, in terms of very uh, visible, very concrete things like rain on the ground or, or times of peace and prosperity. Just as there is a connection between righteousness and prosperity in the political realm, 
so also in the kingdom of Jesus Christ there is a connection between the righteousness of God's people and her king and the blessings that we may enjoy in our lives. In the gospel we confess today that I proclaim to you is that Jesus Christ is king over everyone all over the world. The promise is that everybody, and we read that in Ephesians 2, Jews and Gentiles alike from all over the world have access to the Father. That was in chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 18. And then it goes on in 19 to 20, Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 20, to, to explain that all who believe that Jesus Christ is their only Savior are made to be fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Speaking of, of great and wonderful things, sometimes it's almost too hard for us to even to even picture what Ephesians, what the Lord is telling us. And the Holy Spirit reveals that all believers have fellowship with Christ and with one another as members of the household of God that is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's a beautiful picture of the church blessing and a comfort to us to know that the church is a present manifestation of the glorious kingship of Jesus Christ. We'll see that God reveals that there is one holy Catholic church. First we see that there is one church. God is eternal. That means he is not bound by time and culture even though he is working in time and in different places to carry out his plan of salvation. When we think of God, we need to think of God as sovereign over, over everything, even over time. And we speak of one church because we believe in one eternal God who is just and who is truly present in the promise of a Messiah like we saw this morning way back in Genesis, and then again, uh, we see it in the, in the Psalms. We see God present in the promise of a Messiah, just as much as he is present in the birth of the Son of God and the Incarnation, as he is present today while he reigns over all things from heaven until he comes again. The church confesses this one work of God when we speak about the Son of God gathering, defending, and preserving for himself a church uh, chosen for everlasting life. And although we know that Psalm 72, as we have it open, it's, it's speaking in the first place about King Solomon, we can also see from the first verses and the last verses that the real focus is on the sovereign, eternal God who raises and sustains the king. We praise him, like we see at the end of the psalm, for he alone does wondrous things. The focus is not on King Solomon, but it is on the office of the king that God appoints, as we see in verse 1. It is on the, on the king that 
God raises up. So we see in verse 11 that it's about all kings and nations fall down in worship before him. The church is one because there is one Messiah. The church is one because there is one mediator. Timothy in chapter 2. He is that one banner or flag under which all the nations gather and assemble as we, we saw, I think it was a New Year's day or the, early in the New Year, the sermon on Isaiah 11. All gathering under the one flag, the banner, Jesus Christ. We confess that this Son of God is gathering for himself the church. The focus of our praise as church of the living God is always on King Jesus Christ. Now, we know the words. We, need, we, we think about that during the week as well. We think of, of serving King Jesus Christ. You see, he defines who we are. When the church prays in Psalm 72 that God might give to his king justice, give to his justice to his royal son and righteousness, the church is praying that she herself might have these things. Because whatever Christ Jesus the king looks like, that is also what we will look like. Our unity is found in our fellowship with Christ Jesus. The eternal God brings all his people together by bringing them under the umbrella of Christ Jesus. That is why it is so important to evaluate the differences that we find between people who call themselves Christians uh, on all, in all different walks of life and all different places in the world based on how they view Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ for you? That's, a, that's an important question. And then we see it's not a, a question, in the, it's not a, in the first place a question about which group or which leader we might be following, whether Pelagius or Augustine or, or Rome or Luther or Arminius or Bavinck. But what we believe about the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ and how we need him in our lives. It's a good question. We can ask, well, how much do you need Jesus Christ in your life? But that teaches how you view, how you understand him. It's not a question about this tune or, or that tune. If you, you travel around just a little bit, you'll see how much variety there is, or this instrument, or that instrument, or this worship time, or, or that worship time. But about how much we love Jesus Christ. How much we love his work. It's only in him that we find our unity. And we confess that the Son of God gathers his church by his spirit, by his word, in the unity of true faith in him. So the communion of the saints is defined, and, and the catechism has a, has a fantastic, it's a famous, a famous description of what the communion of saints is all about. It, it, it's first of all your fellowship with Christ. And receiving gifts from him. 
And then after that, it's your fellowship with those around you. The communion of saints is defined by our obedience to the Spirit who guides us in His Word. The communion of saints is defined by your unity with Christ, the head of His church. And then we see that we talk about the fellowship of believers, the communion of saints, in such a way that we understand that it's not we who get to choose which people sit beside us in the pew, but it is a work of God who chose those people and placed them in the same faith, in the same confession, in the same place, in our case, the same fellowship with Jesus Christ. Our unity with Christ defines the communion of saints, the body. And the body is made up, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, it's made up of, of many parts, many parts that God put together and united in Christ. The communion of saints with each other is the result of the communion of each individual saint with Christ. And those who have unity with Christ will seek unity with each other based on that unity they have with Christ. A healthy church is a church where we patiently help and support one another using the gifts we have received from God readily and cheerfully for the benefit of the other members because we love Jesus Christ. Because his treasures and gifts fill us and define who we are. And it is in this love for God and for our neighbor that the church shows herself to be set apart and holy. Psalm 72 also shows us that the church is holy. And holy church is a church that is set apart and dedicated to God's glory. In Psalm 72, we see that Christ the King focuses his attention on the needy. And I'm looking at verses 2 to 4. Or 2 and 4 and then verses 12 to 14. He focuses his, his attention on the needy, the poor, the weak who have no helper, and the oppressed. The assembly of those who believe in Jesus Christ is an assembly of people who recognize their weakness. It's an assembly of people who are looking to the Lord for help. The church is set apart from the world because they are the ones who are crying out to God in their weakness and by the grace of God because they are finding in him a father whose arms are open to receive them. The creed puts the confession of our forgiveness of sins after the confession of the communion of saints in the church. Because perfection is not a condition for membership in Christ's body. Rather, the Lord finds true worshipers so that they may confess their sins and celebrate the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. It's another way the church is holy. It's called holy because all who belong to the church are truly Really washed clean 
by Christ's blood, made pure. We confess that God will consider the righteousness of King Jesus as if it is our own righteousness, so that we may never come into condemnation. That's in answer 56 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, beautiful words. You can think about that all, all week long. God will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. That sets us apart. That makes us a very privileged people. Psalm 72 verse 14 says that the lives of those whom Jesus Christ redeems is precious in his sight. Their blood is precious in his sight. The lives of his subjects are so precious that he saves us from the punishment of God that we deserve. He takes the pangs of death away and he gives us new life and new hope in his name. Already now, members of Christ's church may have a foretaste of what will happen to us on Judgment Day because already now, we expect our entire salvation in Jesus Christ. And as we confess in the Belgic Confession, we may claim, we may claim the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ as our own. The Lord God calls all men everywhere to believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior to flee from sin, to pursue righteousness, to love the true God and their neighbor and crucify their flesh and its works. And as Christ's ambassador, I can assure you today that whether you are a member here or a visitor to this church or perhaps listening online, there is complete forgiveness of all your sins in Jesus Christ so that all who believe in him will never come into condemnation. That's the secret. That's why when we sing, we sing with such joy. Our lives have been transformed forever because of Jesus Christ. The church is truly made holy in Jesus Christ. And so blessed with all these gifts. We see that there comes this, this calling. Those who are washed clean in Christ's blood are also sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's technical language for saying that the Holy Spirit now helps us to live as people who belong to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 72 we pray that Jesus Christ will rule as king in justice and righteousness. We sang that several times as well. We pray that Jesus Christ, the king, will be a king who defends the weak and the vulnerable, a king who, who shares the prosperity that his righteousness gains with, with all the people. These are things that make us different from the world. They serve to define what we mean when we say the church is holy. 
You see, those who are forgiven much, forgive much. Those who find justice, love, and righteousness in Jesus Christ also will show justice, love, and righteousness to the others. When the church is called holy, set apart, and dedicated to the Lord, she is called to stand out, to be different, to, to shine because of her love, to be a light in the world, to be a, a front runner in all mercy and all love. There is hardship for tragedy. The church is called to be there, first of all. Brothers and sisters, we can think about that also in our task and calling and what we do during the week. May it be our aim, our goal, to be guided by God's Spirit and His Word in all love and justice and truth. So what does that look like? It means that we have our eyes open to the vulnerable, to the weak in society. If you meet someone who is elderly, there are ways that you can help the, the unborn stand up for, their, what for who they are as human beings, for those with, with special needs. We could think of those sometimes you, you're carrying out, you're doing your task, and you see the downtrodden, the homeless, maybe minority groups, someone who's having trouble ordering something in the restaurant because of their language barriers, or the outcasts that can even be in our own circles, people who don't feel comfortable. And as you meet people who are trapped by their sins of weakness, you can think of, of addicts, you can think of those who are confused, those who fell into sin in the past and are living with those consequences. How, how do we look at these people, how do we see them? Well, we remember Psalm 72. We remember that the church is called to be holy, to be different, to reach out in love, to reflect Jesus Christ. You see, our Savior showed self-sacrificial love. He came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Not to walk around judging everyone for what they did or what happened to them, but to serve the world. Not to be served, said Jesus, but to serve. Members of Christ's body are called holy because we are always seeking ways to defend the holiness of our God, the truth of the gospel, of the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ, and we defend this truth as we show love and righteousness, as we boldly oppose the oppressor, like we sang in Psalm 72, as we humbly love the weak and the poor. And so the church stands out, it's set apart, it's holy. And when you travel the world, you will be able to see the subjects of the kingdom of Christ by their love of God, by their love of their neighbor. Because, as we also confess in the Belgian Confession, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed 
throughout the entire world. The church is also Catholic. And the word Catholic is an adjective that came long before the formation of the Roman Catholic Church as a denomination that is distinct from the Greek Orthodox Church and the Western Protestant churches. And although today the, the word Catholic is used many times in modern English to refer to Roman Catholic institutions, and it can be confusing, the word actually just means of all ages and all places in the world. Universal in, in location and in time. This means that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, whoever belongs to his kingdom, as it is so beautifully described in Psalm 72, can call themselves Catholic, part of the Catholic Church. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only institution that can truly be called Catholic, the Church of Jesus Christ, because it is the only assembly that has existed from the beginning of the world until its end. Psalm 72, verses 5 to 7, emphasizes the longevity, that means how long it lasts, of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and how those who fear him may experience his blessings from one generation to the next. Those are comforting words for us, and the fury of the world rages against her. Attacks are made on the funding we receive for independent schools. When truth is forbidden, forbidden to speak the truth, or when Christians wearing orange jumpsuits are having their heads chopped off because of their faith in the triune God, when churches are burned or buses are blown up, buses full of Christians, when the church must go underground to catacombs or hills, when pastors are thrown in prison and Christian families spend months in shipping containers in the desert. And you know I'm just sharing with you things that are happening in our day and age. When we hear that, we do not need to doubt that God will preserve his Catholic church, and then we sing it, while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, when the church looks very small and, and perhaps even extinct, we will sing that Jesus shall reign till moons shall wax and wane no more. When the eternal God, the eternal God, when he is your king, and you are set apart in him, transferred from the, dark, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, Jesus says, you may know that his blessings will be poured upon you like rain upon the earth. Rain on a mown field, says the psalm, forever and ever. And the church of Jesus Christ is also called Catholic because it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. Psalm 72, 
also speaks of this aspect of the Catholicity of the church in, in verses 8 to 11, revealing that the Messianic King, Jesus Christ, will have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In the most prosperous golden era of Israel's history, when the tribes were all united under the peaceful rule of King Solomon, that kingdom went from the Mediterranean Sea on the west to the river Euphrates on the east. And under the reign of Jesus Christ, the psalm says, the kingdom of God will break through the barriers, the limits that surrounded Israel at that time. And, and it will move beyond her borders so that he will receive praise and tribute from all over the world. And perhaps following the flow of the four rivers that were described in Genesis 2, the four rivers that were leaving paradise and going out into the world, Psalm 72 takes us northeast to talk of the desert tribes who will bow before the head of the church. And it takes us northwest to, to Tarshish. It takes us southeast to Sheba, which is probably modern-day Yemen, and then southwest from Israel to, to Seba, which is an African nation. The picture is of the expansion of the kingdom under Jesus Christ. And it continues on as we go to the New Testament. We see the Magi from the east falling down before the Lord Jesus when he was still just a baby and, and bringing him their gifts. The Ethiopian going home to his country from Jerusalem, reading Isaiah 53 and asking, who is this servant? And, and learning from Philip that it is Jesus Christ and, and then be, being baptized. And the Lord Jesus blessing his disciples and sending them out into the world with the theme of Acts 1 verse 8, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world, even Canada. And even today, the spread and the growth of God's kingdom continues throughout all the earth. As we, may make, as we make our way to that picture of Revelation chapter 21, verses 23 to 26, where God promises that, that all kings and all nations will walk by his light and will bring glory and honor to the eternal triune God. And brothers and sisters, we are seeing this Today, each one of you here today, you confess that you are and forever shall remain a living member of this one holy Catholic Church of Jesus Christ. It's quite a thing for you to say. It's quite a thing for you to be. And as you make that confession, think about what that means. Think about everybody who can say that. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Throughout history, all, all over the world, that ecumenical creed can be professed. The global hymn, Jesus shall reign, can be, can be sung. And as we are singing, whether we are 
are standing in a cool and comfortable building in North America or a rented, humid room in Brazil or undercover in a secret apartment building in China or in the home of a brother or sister in the Ukraine or in a bamboo shelter in Indonesia or in a little village town maybe close to the Mufu home in, in, in Africa. We all sing desiring the fulfillment of Psalm 72, verse 17. That people may be blessed in Jesus Christ. That all nations call him blessed. That Jesus might be recognized as king by even more people. That the 7,033 unreached groups, that's about 41 40% of all the people groups, that the over 3 billion people, 42% of, of the population of the world, that, that those who do not know, who have not been reached by the gospel, that they may join in the song of praise, that they may share in the eternal fame of his name. And as we pray that, we feel the, the call, the, the urgent necessity to go, to share, to be a part of that expanding kingdom. We pray, may that promise of Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3, that we started the day of worship with today, that all nations may be blessed through us. May it be fulfilled in the victorious kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we may, may we continue to be faithful as we stay focused on this goal. As we think about Psalm 72, that question comes again to, to our hearts and to our minds. We ask, we already asked, do you see the, the weak and the vulnerable and, and, and the needy around you? But another question is, do you see the people around you who do not know Jesus Christ? Do you still have eyes to see them? Do you mean it when you pray for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ as as we see so, so nicely in verse 17. May the Lord bless us as a congregation as we continue to, to look outward, to see those around us who do not know the gospel. May he bless the efforts to share this gospel, whether we are planting churches in our region or setting up a Reformed Study Center or assisting neighboring churches in their mission or supporting missionaries in other countries or simply sharing our joy and our hope with those we meet in our own circles of influence. The church that we are a part of, may, may it become a part of our vision, our daily prayers, the prayer of the church, preaching of the gospel, Sharing the good news with unbelievers is, is very clear. We say, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.